0: You're listening to the Outstanding Life Podcast with your host, Johnny D, the motivational cowboy. 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 As a motivational speaker, Johnny D impacts audiences around the world with his message of living the outstanding life. He's a best selling author, MC, and two time Grammy considered artist. This podcast is a place where Johnny D can introduce you to his outstanding friends and share funny, interesting, and heart provoking stories. Ladies and gentlemen, Buckle up. Here comes your host, Johnny D.
1: D. Hey, everybody. I'm Johnny D., the Motivational Cowboy. Welcome to this week's Outstanding Life podcast. And I want to say a big hello to all my friends listening on Dirt Road Radio 103.1 FM. Alongside me today is my good friend, Bill Melbach. What is going on, my friend?
2: Hey, hey Johnny. Thanks for having me back.
1: Man, I am so excited about this show. I mean, I, I... Do you even know what a NASCAR spotter does? Because if not, you're going to find out today. I'm
2: going to find out today. I'm looking forward to it.
1: Well, this show is called The Art of Communication. And this young man, you talk about communicate. He communicates for a living. Not us talking on a microphone. He talks on a different kind of microphone. I can't wait to talk to him about this. He was a race fan that became a professional spotter and is still working at his dream. So...
2: I'm looking forward to it. I mean, there's got to be a lot of pressure there, you know. Yeah. So you make a you know, communication mistake <laughs> and then some is crashing India. You know, so yeah. 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 yeah.
1: And, and the coolest part about this show, Bill, is I met this young man at the racetrack like many, many years ago. He was a, even a younger man back then. Him and his mom would, you know, come to the racetrack and, and you know, uh, ran into him this past year. And I'm like, oh, man, we got to do a show on you. Your journey is just amazing. So uh, we're going to call in right now uh, Anthony, Anthony but. You there? Yep. Yep. I got you, bud. What is going on? Oh, there we go. Gotcha. Gotcha, bud. Little spotter <laughs> talk there.
0: <laughs> Excellent. Yep. I'm already loving it. <laughs> yeah. Anthony. I'm, I'm, used to, I'm used to that a lot. That usually the driver asking, hey, you got me? And yep, that's usually my response.
1: <laughs> Anthony, this is Bill Melbach on the, on the other line here. And um, just so, you know, Anthony, thanks for... For coming on and sharing your story i mean i remember i think you were just starting college when i met you and here you are now close to 30 years old or you are 30 years old your journey is just amazing i can't wait for you to share it i thank you for coming on
0: well i, I appreciate that and i mean as much as you're thanking me for being on i'm, I'm i want to thank you for wanting to share it it's definitely a uh, a cool thing to have someone like you wanting to have me on your show and, and you know talk about all this so I appreciate it.
1: Anthony, for the people that have no clue about racing, no clue what a spotter does, your dream was to always be a NASCAR spotter. So can you explain to the people listening right now what a spotter actually does?
0: Yeah. So uh so well so you say that the dream was always to to do that. Um that that goes back a long way. When I started high school I got into the to thinking what I wanted to do for a career and, and go to college for. And before the this dream of spotting came about, I actually wanted to be a counselor. Um, so go to school for psychology and be like a family counselor or a school counselor. And um, that kind of diminished when I realized how much schooling was going to go into it. And I <laughs> didn't think that was going to be my forte. So you know, I started thinking of what else I wanted to do. And uh, I'll never forget it. I was a sophomore in high school. I I was uh, sitting at the kitchen table one night, my mom was cooking dinner, and I was watching NASCAR videos, as I usually did every night through the week, and I just thought to myself, well, my, my passion is in NASCAR, why don't I, I try to work in that, and quickly started thinking of what I wanted to do, and I knew I wanted to be involved in the race. I wanted to be involved with one car during the race, so I thought about every position and thought of being a crew chief, and I quickly realized that was not going to work because all of the math and science and engineering background you need for that is definitely not me. Um, I'm not a a numbers kind of guy. And then uh, I thought of being, well, maybe being on a pit crew and anybody who has ever met me knows that working out is also not my forte, <laughs> so I, uh, I'm, so I I'm like, loving yeah. this.
2: you're checking all my boxes here, I love this, yeah, yeah, exactly,
0: um, yeah, I, I was like, you know, these, these guys are, these guys at Hendrick and, and Gibbs and everyone are, they're, they're recruiting, you know, top 10 D1 athletes, and I am certainly not that, I didn't even make it to a rec league in college, so then I thought of, uh, then I thought of spotters, and, I I don't know why, but for some reason, it made sense. I definitely like to talk. I'm, I'm not afraid to talk to anyone, and I'm a very visual person, which has to work out with, with spotting. And like, you know, like I said, I'm not I'm a math and science person. I don't have that kind of brain. I'm, I'm a very visual person. So once I kind of settled on that, like I said, I don't know why that, that thought stuck, but it did. And so I went to work trying to find videos that had audio in them. And anytime I'd be watching a race and they would play spotter audio, I'd, I'd pay attention to that. Started using a uh, a fan scanner at the racetrack when I would go to races. Uh, my family lives about 15 minutes from Pocono, so we'd go. We went to Pocono every year. That's probably one of the biggest tracks and, and hardest tracks to be a spotter at. So I was would definitely get some good intel there. And then uh, yeah, and then you know you asked about what, what a spotter does. We're essentially a second set of eyes for the driver. So I always relate it to being an air traffic controller for for airplanes. Like we're we're telling the driver everything that they can't see. You know, if if a pilot doesn't have a an air traffic controller talking to them, they aren't able to do their job well. Um, you know, they're kind of limited. So, we just tell the driver everything that they can't see. Most of the time, it's it's out back, but sometimes it's it's in front of them too. The basics of it is like if a car is next to you, or um, you know how far back the next car is, or if there's a crash in front. You know where where to go to miss it. But then it gets a lot more complicated than that because you're, you're feeding them information of where guys are running that might be faster and helping them to kind of match what those faster cars are doing, giving them lap times. And then, you know, you circle back to what I said about wanting to be a counselor. We are sometimes that as well.
1: I just wrote that down. I could not wait for you, you know, to, to, to stop because I was going to be like, hey, listen, man, you want to be a, be a counselor. I know darn well you're a counselor every five minutes on your yes. headset talking to your driver. <laughs>
0: <laughs> yes, there are there. Are, I've I have definitely had my fair share of times where I've had to calm the driver down. And I, I think one, one of the most rewarding things is when they. You know, sometimes it gets heated in, inside there. You know, not just not just physically, but mentally. And sometimes we have to be that that voice of reason. And one of the most rewarding things of about being a spotter is when you are able to calm them back down and get them back focused. And and you can see that in the way they're driving. Sometimes you can see they're they're driving very frustrated, and they don't even have to say anything, but you can see it in the way they're driving. And um, you have to get them, you know, back focused. That's that's probably half of our job is doing that. And it's just as important as getting the the inside and outside and clears all all correct.
1: Anthony, this is all great information, but I, I want to know one thing. And that is how did you get your start when you finally made up your mind that you wanted to be a spotter? What were the steps? It's not like they have schools for them. It's not like you can go to college to be a spotter. How did, how did you do it?
0: Yeah. So that's actually that that was that was actually one of the parts of this. I was excited to be able to tell because this really highlights the people that have helped me get to this point. I think for anybody trying to achieve a dream like this, it's important to not forget the people who have helped you because you wouldn't be where you're at if you didn't have that support. And whether that be family support, whether that be people in the industry who have been there for a while. And so one of the the very first people that ever helped me was uh was Lauren Rainier. And I'm sure you guys know that name very well. Lauren has a a long, long history in this sport. You know, his dad back at one time owned a, a car that um Davy Allison drove and Tony Stewart got his start with Lauren's dad's race car. Um, and then Lauren was a spotter himself for around the nineties to about 2015. Um, the last time he spotted full-time in cup was for, for McMurray, uh, when McMurray was in the one going back to when I started college. So this is September of 2014. I was a, a, a sport management major and the first week of school, they had talked about making contacts and talking to people who are in the same jobs that you want to be in and kind of grilling them with questions and, and trying to follow, you know, what they did. And so I took that and ran with it. And, and I, I didn't know many cup spotter names at the time, but Lauren was, was one that I knew. And so I tried to find him on Facebook. Fortunately he did. And I sent him a message and he was gracious enough to uh, reply very, very quickly. Um, and anybody who knows Lauren, he is not a man of uh, very few words, but they, he makes every word, word count um which is something he drilled into me as well but he responded with his phone number and told me to to call him um, later that night because there was uh, I was asking for advice on spotting and how to start and he told me it was it was too much to text about but call me later.
1: You know and, what life lesson number 1 already Anthony is that if you want something bad enough stalk them.
0: Exactly. Yeah. Um <laughs> and people will well <laughs> so, so maybe maybe the maybe the stalking thing might need to rephrase
1: that. <laughs> but no, just but, but essentially it,
0: yeah. Yeah, but it, but essentially that's out, what though, it
1: right? is. You have to reach yeah. out to people, and, and and because people want, people want to help, people want to help somebody. And
2: yeah. yeah, and just real quick for the audience to point this out that this part of the story that he's, that he's sharing with you, this is a universal thing with uh, success people that one of the b- biggest things uh, with everybody is that they had a mentor. Yep, and they had to seek out, and somebody shared that with them. So the critical. Yes part of success is oftentimes where you get that mentorship from.
1: So, so, so he gave you his number and you called him right away and that's how the relationship started.
2: Yeah. So we, so yeah, I had called
0: him later that night. Um, and we had, we had talked on the phone for about a half hour. I'll never forget the one thing that he had said to me and I, and you know, I carried this with me was when he talked about the actual job of spotting, he said, always remember you're, you're either, you're either clear or you're not clear. Like there's no, there's no guessing. There's no, you think you're just, you're clear or you're not clear. And I'm like, okay, yeah, I, I think, (laughs) I think I got what you're saying. (laughs) Um, but the cool thing with him was then get to 2015 and I went to the, the all-star race that year And fortunately, I wasn't inside the garage, but I was on the the fence line that separated where the fans were walking to the garage. He had just happened to be walking right by there. And I was able to talk to him and, and actually meet him in person for a couple minutes. And then as we went to got to both Pocono races that year, he was very gracious enough again. And through some connections, he was able to get me passes to the garage. So it not only allowed me to be able to go talk to him, but I was able to meet a bunch of other spotters. And that kind of started that part of it, of of making connections and getting my name around and making it known what I wanted to do. The second weekend, which I'm sure we'll get to this friendship a little later, but the second Pocono weekend that year, I told him, hey, if, if there's any way I can meet Tony Hirschman, I've, I've been listening to him for a little bit. And I, I think, you know, I like how he spots and I've been I've been trying to kind of practice the way he does it. Um, would would I be able to meet him? And it was right before the truck race that weekend. And Lauren said, "Okay, hey, hang on, you know, wait right here." He went up to the stand and brought Tony down so I could meet him. And you know, that's that's kind of turned into, like I said, me learning from Tony. We we keep in touch a lot. I mean, I still ask him questions, and I'm seven years into doing this. So, but getting back to Lauren, then fast forward to Dover that year, I was down there watching the Xfinity race and then the, the Cup race the next day. But during the Xfinity race, his car fell out, and I texted him, "Can you come up to the grandstands?" I was with my with my mom that weekend, and we had the scanners. We had had headsets that you could connect them and talk to each other. So, and you could also hear what you're saying because they were made for a fan, right? So you you want the fans to be able to hear themselves. So that's how I would practice. I would hear myself through this fan headset, and that's how I would practice at races. But I told Lauren to come up there if he was willing to, because I wanted him to hear, you know, something. I, I, I didn't know what he, what I was going to be able to give him, what he was going to hear from me. And if it was going to be anything worth listening to, but he again was gracious with his time and came up there. And I mean, he sat with me for probably close to 50 laps and he would pick a car just at random and say, okay, that car right there, go do it. You know, we do a couple laps. Then he would pick a different car, like maybe a lap car or something, and would tell me, "Okay, do that one." Well, that's really pivotal to I think this whole journey because I got a text from him about a month later asking, "Hey, I have a spotting opportunity for you for next year. Are you interested?" I'm like, "Well, of course I am. (laughs) Why would I? Why would I say no to this?" And he said, uh, "He's like, okay, cool. Well." Um, you're going to have to do a little bit of driving cause it's in North Carolina.
1: And you were in PA, right?
0: I was, I was going to school in Pennsylvania at that time yeah. near, uh, near Penn state. So I was about eight and a half hours from North Carolina. And I was like, um, okay, yeah, yeah, that's fine. Cause I'm thinking this is the first time I'm actually going to be able to spot. Like, why am I going to say no? Like this is, this is where it's going to start. So going to uh, another really pivotal person in in, uh, my career, not just at the start, but even recently when, you know, Johnny, when I saw you at at Coda, he got me hooked up with Gary Putnam. And Gary, again, has a long history in this sport, but he has been driving modifieds, like tour-type modifieds, for a few years. I think back to 2010, a few races a year. Well, at this time, they were that was when the Wheel and Modified Tour had a southern tour as well. And it was the last year in 2016 that they ran that. Well, that was my deal, was doing any of the modified races that Gary ran down south. So I would schedule my classes so that I was Monday through Thursday. And then I think I had one class on Friday, uh, like Friday morning early. And then once I got out of class, I'd drive down there. I'd stay with one of our crew guys. We'd run the race Saturday and then I'd drive back Sunday. So and I did that probably every other week, most for the most part through 2016. And, uh, it was really cool to obviously get your start at the same time, looking back on it. I don't know why Gary kept me around because I was not up to par (laughs) for sure. Um, it was definitely, it was definitely a thing of, he took a chance on me, big chance on me. And for whatever reason, he kept me around and I, really can't thank him enough for that because there were a lot of times where I was like, man, I don't know if I can do this. I don't know if I'm, if I'm ever going to be good at this, but him having enough belief in me kept me going. And, you know, here we are seven years later. And then, and then it's cool. Actually this year at at Coda, that was the first cup race that I I had gotten a spot.
1: Yeah. I got to see you there. Yep.
0: Yeah. And Gary, so Gary was working for Ganassi at the time that I started with him. And then when Justin Marks bought out, ganassi and formed track house then gary stayed with track house well i was talking with gary over the off season um this past january and i said you know what do i got to do to to get into this stuff like i know the road course races are where i have to start and you know we had some long conversation with that and he said yeah i'll try to you know i'll try to throw your name out there if i can and then i get a text about three weeks before coda from Darian and Grub, and i i know you you know you probably know that name as well yep well, Darian is involved with the the 91, the Project 91 car that that they're running, and Coda was going to be the first race that it was entering for this year. And um, Darian's text was, "Hey Anthony, I uh, Gary Putnam recommended you for for spotting a Coda. Are you know are you interested in doing that?" And uh, and and once again, you know, you get that question of, "Are you interested?" And it's like, "Of course I am." <laughs> like right. if I if I say, if I said no to this, I'd be I'd be insane. So I feel like the biggest lesson of things come full circle, and you never know when someone you meet, how pivotal they're going to be in your success when you first meet them. And seven years ago, I started with Gary in, you know, a touring modified series and, and it was probably not at all good enough to be there. And then we get to seven years later and he's recommending me to work with a cup car.
1: Yeah. That's um, awesome. And We
0: actually were able to get a picture together too, um, you know, a Coda, and it was just, it was one of those moments that, Like you need to appreciate and cherish because like I said, it's, you don't have success in your dreams without people being willing to help you.
1: Getting, getting back to something you said just a little bit ago, did you get paid when you were going to North Carolina, you know, as many weekends as you could from Pennsylvania, were you getting paid?
0: No. So that, so again, another life lesson
1: that, and and that's the reason why I ask is because sometimes when you're following your dream, you have to do things for nothing. People don't always pay you for that exposure that, you know what I mean? You were gaining so much knowledge. One other thing you said, no, I'm getting paid, but how did you know that you were not good? Was it because the guy was wrecking every weekend and it was your fault? Was it? I mean, and, and, I mean I'm laughing um, about it, but, but, but how did you know you weren't good? Was it the driver getting mad at you afterwards and saying, what the heck were you thinking? How did you know um, you weren't good? And and how did you he, make yourself better?
0: Yeah. So that, so So Gary was not, he's not a very talkative person. Um, I mean, he'll, he'll let you know when he doesn't like something, but he all will he will also tell you when you did a good job. And he would occasionally tell me like, Hey, you have to work on this or work on that. I I think at the time inside, I I knew I had a lot to learn. Um, I, I remember the very first race, we took the green flag, went through one and two, and as I'm saying outside, I'm thinking in my head, "What the heck did I get myself into?" Um, and I, I, was kinda, like, kinda, I was like, kind of like oh, the man. first
1: time I worked on walked on stage, I was like, "What yes, the heck was yeah. I thinking?" Yeah, exactly.
0: <laughs> I, I definitely knew I was I was in for it. But while other people who worked with us will will say that I, I really was not that good back then, I can look back on it now and know what I do, you know, how I do it now and know that I wasn't good. But I think at the time and really through this whole journey, I am the hardest person on myself. And and you go back to, you know, how do you, how do you make yourself good? First of all, I will, I will never, I will never say that I'm the best out there. You know, even, even now, like I know I still have work to do on, on some things, but the maturation and the, you know, the progress that have made to this point it's all been because I am the hardest critic of myself like there's no one else that can be harder on me than than me and what that really what that comes from and I actually kind of relate this to a, a quote that Kyle Bush said one time and in, in a, a sit-down interview and he he had said I hate losing more than I enjoy winning yeah and while that's also that's also true for me as well but is specifically to me with spotting and, and what I expect out of myself. Like I hate not being the best more than I enjoy possibly being the best. And I say possibly because like I said, I'm I'm not gonna be the one to say that I'm the best out there. And so what drives me to be good or to work on something that I feel like needs improving is when I think that wanting to be the best. Even if I'm never going to reach that point, it keeps me working this and, and striving to be better.
1: This is important for me to let people know throughout this whole journey of you talking about you doing this and wanting to do it. And then you got the opportunity to do it. You were doing all of this and fighting cancer as a young man as well.
0: Yeah. Yeah. That was, um, that was definitely the hardest part. That was about uh, a little over five years ago. Now I found out uh, Christmas of twenty seventeen that, that I had that and it was about a, a six month battle with three months of chemo and then about a month later I, I needed to have a surgery to, to remove the rest of it. And that was you know, that that played into the motivation factor as well because there were so many times where I'd be sitting there getting the treatments and, you know, I'd be watching racing videos or I'd be seeing posts of my friends who were at the same level I was at that point going out and and winning races and just being able to go do it every week. And I was sitting in a chair for a few hours a day having, you know, kind of feeling like I was stuck. So that was the hardest part because I couldn't go do races and everybody knew what was going on with me. But I also knew that might've been the reason why I wasn't able to go do races because if I went away for a weekend and... I got sick because I was on the chemo. Like nobody really can take a chance on that. And that, and I know, I know, I'm talking. You know, probably making these these long winded. But uh, I, I'll never never forget too. That year, it was the beginning of April. Uh, it was for a, a modified tour race at Thompson. Jimmy Blewett actually called me up because. I had spotted for one of his friends at at Wall Stadium in in New Jersey the previous year for a couple races and fortunately impressed enough where he recommended me to Jimmy because Jimmy needed a spotter for the icebreaker race at Thompson. And I was able to work with Jimmy after that for a couple months until I I was able to move to North Carolina. And he was the only person I worked with for that time. And we actually almost won that first race out. We had a car that was was good enough to win. But it just meant a lot to me that he believed in me enough to take me with him, even though you know, what I was going through was was hard and I'll I'll say all the time, like it just it means a lot to have people believing in you. And as a spotter, that's that's you know, trust is a hundred percent of the game. Like if people don't trust you, you you don't have a job. One hundred percent.
1: Hey, do you remember the first time you actually got paid to do your job? Do you remember that, you know, that that first time that somebody gave you either cash or a check? I mean, you must have felt like you hit the lottery doing it for free for so long. And then all of a sudden someone's paying you to do it. Do you remember yeah. that time?
0: Yeah, that was uh it was actually, it was probably that same race um, okay. that I was, I was just mentioning um, the, the two years before that it was I'd show up every race and, you know, I'd have my way paid in. That was pretty much all I knew to, to, to ask for it. And I probably also didn't have enough of the belief in myself to think that it was worth anything. Uh, I think that's another, you know, probably another important piece of it too. Like, but with Jimmy, like he, I didn't even ask him for anything, but he, I don't, I forget what he gave me, but he did give me something. And I was like, we just flipped today when we wrecked and you're you're, you're like, you got to fix a you got to fix a race car and you're handing me money. But you know, that just, that just went to show that, you know, he appreciated me being
1: there and you know, it
0: it meant a lot. So.
1: That is so cool. I mean, I don't think that Bill, did you understand like what he said? He worked for two years for free. I mean, that means he had to pay to go work. (laughs) And people don't realize that these days. When you're following a dream and you want to follow a dream, you got to be motivated yourself.
2: That's a big key. I mean, he put himself in proximity. Proximity is like one of the things very overlooked in everything. He put himself where he wanted to be, where he visualized himself being. That's where he met these people, and then these people gave their time. So I think one of these things I definitely want people to take away from this story is that what he's sharing too is that you you at home you could really make a difference by giving your time to people. I mean the the, pe- the time that he's telling you about this, Lauren and Gary and Tony and Jimmy changed changed his life. You know, so you guys yeah. have the chance to do that too. So
1: and changed his life. Why he was still going to college, and fighting cancer. Yeah, exactly. Hey, Anthony, I have to ask you about something that I read that you wrote. And you once wrote, I get motivated by watching other people win. Now, for those of you that did not hear that, I'm going to repeat that again. You wrote, I get motivated watching other people win. Bill, before he even says anything, most people want it to be all about themselves. Sure. Sure. Anthony, I want you to, to explain what you mean by I get motivated by watching other people win.
0: Well, so I think it comes from having this dream of doing this job at, at, at the highest level. But I also I have this dream of winning modified tour races and winning Xfinity and truck races and winning, just winning at every level that I'm, that I'm at just to be able to do it at those levels would, would mean a lot. So when you get to see, I mean, my closest friends have, have been a part of a lot of race wins and you're always really happy for them because they're your friends. But at the same time, you're like, well, I, I know, you know, I know I'm just as capable as well. And, um, and it's not a thing of like, of, of jealousy by any means. It's just a thing of like your friends can have the ability to push you to be better, whether, whether they realize it or not.
1: Now, when you say so, friends, do you mean driver, like the driver you're working for, or do you mean like other spotters or you do you just mean people around you?
0: Friends that are other spotters, but then also I actually have a, uh, a playlist on um, saved on YouTube that it's just called motivation. And all of the videos on there are either, Maybe they're driver interviews. Um, maybe they're from the grandstands that fans took at the end of a race. Maybe, you know, they're off the broadcast where it's just guys winning races or championships or they're getting interviewed after they did something. And and I watch those with the the dream in mind of just making it. You know, like I – it's – and for me, and when I say – when I say that I want to do it at a high level, it's not, I don't want to do it because of the, you know, the prestige or the, the money that may come with it. Like, I just want to do it just because I, I, I love racing.
1: Well, yeah. And you Anybody you, you who put yourself out there already. Yeah. So you want yeah, to do and, the best.
0: And, yeah. And anybody who, anybody who loves racing wants to get to the highest level. Mm-hmm. Um, so I watch, I watch stuff like that just to, to keep, me fueled um, to keep working to be good at at the level that I'm at now, um, but also taking advantage of all the opportunities that come up. Anthony, um, you know, like like Coda.
1: Yeah, so. Anthony, I want to ask you. I yeah. often ask drivers, "Do you have race day rituals?" I want to ask you, "Do you have a race day rituals?"
0: Um, or
1: maybe the mental process that that you go through before a race.
0: Yeah. So, so the. I think it's more of a, a mental process leading up to a race. I don't don't think I really have anything special on a race day that I do prior, but, um, the mental process is a lot. Um, you know, I leading up to a race, I find myself kind of running different situations about the race in my mind. Um, you know, from the, the point of view of where the spotters are, are standing. Um, I mean, there are races that, are coming up, you know, a month or two from now that I'm, that I'm thinking of that maybe they were races that we, we lost last year. Um, you know, I'm thinking of what do I got to do to, to help us be better in that situation? Um, you know, this weekend coming up, I have a race Friday and a race Saturday, and I'm thinking of what do I got to do when I get there? What have, what have I seen with races at those tracks prior that, um, you know, that might help me be better, help our team be better. Um, and there's, there's another cool, and this is actually in my my motivation playlist. There's a um, Jimmy Johnson had a sit down interview, uh, and he had said something about. He mentioned back when he was in high school and he was a swimmer, and his swim coach would have him like, you know, you would run laps in your head of like the different strokes and you know turning the other way and and you know doing just doing a whole a whole swim run like that. And he's like, I find myself doing that before it's like, I'll lay down and I'll just start running laps at a track. And I, I can relate to that so much because I, I do the same thing from a spotter perspective. I run laps of what I think I'm going to see. Cause I try to be ready for every situation that might come
1: up. Can you, can you prepare too much? What I mean by that is people often say, you know, I want to have fun doing my job as well. So can you over prepare
0: I, I don't think you can over prepare. Good answer. But I, but I think you can over. <laughs> I think you can overthink.
1: Good answer. Um, that, that's a great way to say that because yeah. I mean, even with me, I always over prepare and yeah. I forget to have fun once in a while. You know what I mean? And uh, I, yeah. I, I, I think about think about more of the show and the interviews than I do anything else. Instead of sucking it all in at the time. Another thing that people may not realize, but spotters are at the very, very top of any racetrack that's where you see the spotters i have to ask were you or are you scared of heights because i've seen how high up you are at times <laughs> and sometimes it looks pretty sketchy when you have 30 40 men standing on top of that spotter stand
0: <laughs> um, so so yes and no um, i am de- like if you if you brought me to to a really steep um, you know, mountain or something, and had me look over the edge, I'd probably be pretty scared of, of falling down. But on, on top of a spotter stand, now, um, it's just so so normal to be up there. The, the one thing I am scared of, though, being that high up is dropping something. Um, because if I drop something, then it falls on the people you know, sitting in the stands and that is something you never want to have happen. So, so for the people uh, that
1: don't know, what are some of the tools that you use during the race?
0: Yeah. So, uh, so we always have, um, some sort of a a headset and then, uh, um, radios that are used to not only communicate with the driver, um, and the crew chief, but we also have usually you'll have a a second radio to talk on a different frequency to just the crew chief. Um, so that frequency, the driver doesn't hear. Um, so like I can, I can be giving information to the driver, talking to him, you know, doing whatever with that. And then if we're around, if we're not around any other cars, I might be talking to the crew chief telling him what I see with the car, because that might help him, figure out what adjustments he needs to make on the next pit stop. And and I can't tell him, like I said, I'm not an engineer or, you know, a mechanic, so I'm not smart enough to tell him how to fix it, but I, I at least have the visual of what the car is doing at what point of the corner. So I can maybe tell him that, um, we also have another radio to listen to, to NASCAR or whatever, uh, officiating team it is for that race. So usually I have four radios cause I'm, um, have one to talk to the driver, one to talk separately to the crew chief, um, one to listen to NASCAR. And then I actually have a fourth radio that I listen to myself so I can hear what I'm saying and how I'm saying it.
1: I've watched drivers get really, really heated up during a race. Does it ever get heated up, up on top of that stand with you spotters because of your drivers?
0: Um. Yeah, this is, <laughs> this is where I got to... I gotta, I gotta think about how I'm going to phrase that. <laughs> um, it, uh, it definitely, there definitely have been times where, um, I've had, I, I've, I've had some conversations with, with some different spotters and, um, normally it's, it, it's, it's me going to them, you know, wondering, wondering what happened, but, um, you know, for the most part, I mean, we know that we're not, we're not the ones holding the wheel, you know, we're, we're, we're a second, um, we're just the second set of eyes and, you know, we're, we're doing the best we can to to keep our drivers safe and other drivers safe as well. Um, but there are times where, you know, maybe your driver makes a, a decision or a move that you don't expect and it, it might cost another car and there might be a conversation. Um, but most of the time, like I said, we know that, we're, we're not driving the cars and there's nothing that, you know, it's not going to do anything to, to get mad at the other guy. Um, that's at least the approach that I've tried to take most times is, you know, much <laughs> a much calmer approach because I know that that's a, that's a fact. But yeah. um, even even with how calm I usually am, there there are times, yeah, where I've, I've gone down to have a conversation. But I try to have that conversation in a way of, like, of understanding that I know the other guys and driving the car, but I still want to know what happened, maybe what he was saying, and if there's something that can be improved next time.
1: A question that comes up all the time with NASCAR drivers, and that is, how do they hold it for so long during a race? And if they have to go to the bathroom, what do they do? (laughs) Anthony, I'm going to ask you that same question. When you are at the top of a racetrack, and I have yet to see a porta potty on top of the racetrack, what do you do when you have... Go relieve yourself. <laughs>
0: um, has that well, happened
1: yet in your career?
0: It 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 has, but fortunately, <laughs> it always seems <laughs> to happen when a, a, a red flag comes up. You know, maybe it's it's in practice and we're we're taking a, a while to to work on the car, so I'm able to go do that. Uh, usually during the race, I if there's not a red flag, I I don't go, um, no matter how bad I have to go because. There are things even under a caution period that can happen that um, you know you need to be aware of. So I have had very rare times where that's happened, but um, the, the most recent time was in practice. I knew we were, we were getting set for a, a mock qualifying run, so usually the changes on the car take a little bit of time. And I told my driver, "Hey, I'm going. I'm going to the bathroom real quick. Um, <laughs> give, me, give me, give me."
1: <laughs> you said that I, while he was practicing.
0: Yeah. Well, no. So we. So so here. So it was for. It <laughs> was hang for a, a second. A mod- do,
1: do your own thing yeah. for a little bit. <laughs> <laughs> it
0: was. It was for a modified tour race, and I. We were about 40 minutes into practice, and we we usually get an hour of practice, so that's about the time that we do a, um, a practice qualifying run. We had just gone in back to our our garage stall. And, and so I knew we were going to have a few minutes of having to make changes. So I, I, I'm like, here's my opportunity. Cause I don't think I can make it 20 more minutes. And so I told, I did tell him like, Hey Kyle, you know, let me know when, let me know when you're ready to go on the track and make sure that I'm up there. Um, and I, even with, even with knowing I had some time, I was probably in and out of there in about 30 seconds. Cause I was too nervous about t- taking, uh, <laughs> too, too long. And, uh, when i got up there i i let them know hey i'm back and it probably was still another 10 minutes until we went back out on the track
1: that is so funny what's the best piece of advice you've ever received and how has it influenced you in your life
0: oh man that's uh that's that's a tough question just because i i feel like there's been so many different um so many different things that i've been told that i i, I don't I don't want to say that any one of them is more.
1: There's one that sticks um, out right now to you and you're right because every day I could ask you that, that question and your answer would probably be different. But as we sit here today and do this podcast, what's the best piece of advice you've ever received and how has it influenced you in your life?
0: So I I would, I would say, I, I would say probably it's, it's actually, it's actually pretty simple. Um, it's I would say it's to ever with every opportunity you get you show up treat people well do your job and you go home like you're and basically what that's saying is when you go they as a spotter when you go to the racetrack like you're there to do a job and if anybody who anybody who's close to me knows that I I don't socialize a whole lot at the racetrack. Like I've, I've gotten better about it. Um, you know, I, I kind of keep to the friends that I have and, um, you know, talk to those folks, but for the most part, um, you know, when I go up to the stand, I, there's very little talking that comes from me because I'm so focused on what I'm doing. And the other big thing about that is you, you definitely don't want to be the one that is, you know, stirring up anything or causing any sort of, you know, drama for yourself. Like you just want to go there, focus on your job, um, you know, impress where you need to and, and just, you know, go home once it's done. Um, What's and that the, actually came. Go ahead. Yeah. Go, no, I was just going to say that that actually came from a, um, you know, fellow friend that's a spotter as well that me and him kind of have the same demeanor um, at the racetrack and not that I didn't act this way, um, you know, prior to him saying it, but that quote actually comes from him. Um, and you know, we're kind of at a similar point now where we're, we're doing a lot of the the short track spotting and and kind of torn, you know, short track spotting. And then we're both getting to do, um, you know, the road course races and, and those opportunities as well. So, um, yeah, I would say it's. I would say that would probably be the most important. Um, but like I said, there's been so many different things I've gotten told that I'm, I'm probably not even remembering right now. But um, a lot of different pieces of advice, a lot of different people that have have given it to me.
1: What's the most memorable mistake you've ever made in your career this far? And what did that? Oh. And what did you learn from it? I couldn't wait to ask um, you this question.
0: Because, yeah, because I, we've
1: I, we've all been there, right? I mean. Mistakes are going to happen. That's how you learn. You wouldn't be where you are today without making mistakes.
0: Yeah. So, so fortunately, <laughs> fortunately I've, I've, I've never, I don't think I've had a mistake that has caused a, a crash, um, which, which is good. Um, I would say just maybe, a, you know, a, a bad, a bad timing on, um, you know, like little, little moves on the racetrack, whether it's covering a spot, whether it's like clearing a guy soon enough. Like i probably, when I started out, I was probably more tentative about clearing a driver just because I, I didn't want there to be any contact. So you would probably hear me waiting too long to clear a guy. Um, you know, little things like that, but I don't think there's been anything where I've maybe cleared my driver and he wasn't clear. Um, I just, maybe just not giving, maybe not giving enough information. Um, you know, like I said, not clearing quick enough. Um, but I don't think there's, I don't know. I don't don't think there's been any anything too major. Fortunately,
1: what's been the uh, strangest or funniest experience you've had so far in your spotting career? Oh, uh, I mean, there's gotta be something funny that has happened or a funny story. I mean, you know, all you guys up there, uh, you and your driver, maybe for, I, I mean, I don't know. I'm just,
0: uh, so, so, so I, knew, actually, I knew there,
1: I knew there was something.
0: Yeah. There, I mean, there are, there are a couple of times. I think, I think more of the funny, <laughs> more of the funny stories from being at a race or, or, you know, being on the road in general, I, probably can't talk about, <laughs> but, um, as far as that's a racetrack or during a race, uh, there was one time where and this actually might be able to, might be able to answer your, your previous question of, um, you know, having, having there be mistakes. The, the first time that I went to, uh, Loudoun, uh, New Hampshire, and I was there with the, with the modified tour and the modifieds for anybody who's watched, watched that, like they, you know, you know that those things go really, really fast around that track. It's basically like a Daytona for them. And we were in practice one time and it was, like I said, it was the first time that I was there with a competitive car um, and we were running by ourselves in practice and I was just learning how to use my binoculars and, um, you know, get the visuals of the cars on the track, because they are a lot smaller than if looking at a, you know, a cup car or Xfinity car there. And I was spotting the wrong car. Um, <laughs> I, my car, my car was, was by itself. Um, and I was, I was looking at a different car that was coming off a coming off a turn two that was, that was behind us. And our cars looked very similar. Um, so I was talking and my guy was actually pulling off the track at the time I was talking. I got off the boat and then he's like, I'm not even on the track, bud. <laughs> I'm like, and then I, lo- and then I look down and he's rolling down pit lane and I'm like, Oh yeah, that's, that's, uh, that's pretty embarrassing. Um, another, I think another funny time was, was actually, <laughs> it was actually later that year we ran a, a race at, um, Riverhead raceway up in New York and, Uh, for anybody who doesn't know Riverhead, it is a, it is a very, very tight bullring track. Um, there's a lot of contact that happens there. A lot of, a lot of tempers that happen there as well. Um, and we were running a a pretty long race there. And, uh, at one point my, the driver I had, he got behind some car that I, I didn't realize that he was mad at. And he, uh, made them go a little faster into the corner than they wanted to go. And when the the caution came out, he was like, he was like, yeah, you remember the beginning of the race? So do I. And I'm sitting there thinking, well, what happened at the beginning of the race? Like, <laughs> I was like, I'm like, I don't remember anything, but it was just kind of funny to me. Cause I'm like, I still, to this day, I could not remember what happened, but, um, you know, maybe, uh, i don't know, past that. I'm trying
1: to. It's okay. What, 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 a, what advice would you have for someone, you know, starting out in racing or as a spotter and what skills are essential for a, you know, successful person in this field? Um, I mean, you've been through so much. I mean, the, you know, everybody listening right now, they need a kick in the butt every now and then. I mean, if somebody wanted to get in the racing business, I mean, what, what advice could you give them?
0: Well, I think, I think the, the advice that I mentioned earlier of, of showing up, you know, doing your job and, and going home, I think is one, one piece to remember because there are situations you'll be in where, um, you know, if you're not careful, you can get yourself caught up around the wrong people. And, um, you know, so that's, I feel like that's really important to remember.
1: How do you get the, oh, go ahead. I'm sorry. I thought you were done.
0: Yeah, no, I was just going to say too, like as, as well as, um, the, the level of effort you have is, is really important. Um, you know, I, for myself, like I, I live and breathe this stuff. Um, racing is, is a, a passion that goes back to probably 2007, eight timeframe. Um, and you know, I, I mean, I was the kid, like, like you said at the beginning of the show, like I got started out as a fan and I was that fan that I'd get down, you know, I get home from school on a Friday and I'd be watching, um, you know, practice and qualifying and watching the, uh, the, the track side show that they used to have. And, um, my weekends were spent watching racing. So, and then when I started spotting too, like it's not just on the weekends that I'm watching it, I'm listening on the, the NASCAR app to, uh, um, to some of the spotters. Um, you know, I go back to listening, to, like Tony Hirschman, like, He's not only a a really good friend at this point, but he's a whether he knows it or not at some times, like he he is a mentor. Um I'm listening to him every week and learning off of him. Um and even during the week, I'm watching watching video. Um occasionally I record myself, so I listen back to that and see what I can possibly do better. Um, you know, it's it's about the effort you put into it. And if you if you have a passion enough for something and a, and a, a, a big enough dream to make it and whatever you're trying to do that, that effort will come. Um, but you just, yeah, you just got to keep putting in the work and, and, uh, you know, the improvements will happen.
1: Absolutely. I'm going to, uh, end this podcast with some uh, real simple questions for you and it's called this or that questions. Okay. Okay. Beach vacation or mountain getaway?
0: Um, I would say beach vacation because uh, climbing some mountains. I don't know if I don't know if I would want to do that. <laughs> so, um, a beach vacation with probably a, a, a few beverages would would be really ideal for me.
1: Perfect. Dogs or cats?
0: Oh, this is this is a, a tough question. I actually got this question recently. If I was a dog person, and I was like, ah. I'm fine with other people's dogs for the most part. Um I, I don't like the big ones sometimes because they tend to be the jumpy ones. If the little ones jump on you, it's you can just kind of flick them away and and be done with that. But uh but cats too. I, I grew up with cats. Cats are a lot simpler. Um but I also could answer neither because I am I I hate the fur. Like I, I I hate the hair getting on everything and having to clean it all the time. So, um, I I'd, I'd actually probably go with neither sometimes.
1: Okay,
2: <laughs> That's actually actually. Cats like a spotter. They they kind of hang around <laughs> right. high and yeah. look at everything. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yep, yeah they they pay attention to
0: everything you're doing whether exactly. you know it or not.
1: <laughs> Books or a movie?
0: Oh, movie all the way. I I uh, it, if you catch me reading a book, it probably has a a picture of a race car somewhere in it because (laughs) reading is reading is definitely not me, but, but movies, you catch me with a good movie. I'm, I'm all set.
1: Early bird or night owl,
0: night owl, for sure. Um, except, except on a race day. Like I, I, I hate getting up early, but if it's, if it's a race day or it's for traveling for a race, um, you know, like this past weekend I went to, I went to, uh, Portland and, my flight out of here was probably about 7 a.m. And so I had to be leaving my house about quarter to five. Um, and I had no problem waking up because I was going to a race. But any other day, if you, if I am awake before the sun comes up, I'm probably having to go to the bathroom and then I'm going right back to bed.
1: Pizza <laughs> or burger?
0: Uh, that could be either. Um, pizza, I mean, I'm Italian, so... I think pizza could, could definitely be satisfactory, but, um, I also really enjoy grilling so I could go for a nice burger.
1: Okay. Last one. And that is boat or golf course.
0: <laughs> um, so, so boat, if it's someone else's boat, cause I've heard, I've heard that's what you, I've heard that's what you want to do. You always want to be the one who has the friend with the boat and not be the one who actually owns the boat. Absolutely. Um, So I, I could go with being on a boat if it's someone else's, if it's a golf course, uh, you probably don't want me golfing because chances are I will, need a few drinks to enjoy the experience. And about halfway through my shots will be going into the woods. So but
1: that's what I say all the time. I'll go golfing with you yeah. as long as I just drive the golf cart. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah, it. exactly. So, so I might, I might
0: have to go with a boat on that, on that scenario. Cause golfing is again, not my full
1: Anthony I can't thank you enough for hanging out with us on the Outstanding Life podcast and Bill thanks for co-hosting the show with me hey, man it's always a good me. time when we get to hang out Anthony uh, Bazella thank you so much for for just telling your story man I really really appreciate you know you being honest with me and all the listeners and because your story is amazing and uh thanks again for coming on the Outstanding Life podcast
0: Yeah, absolutely. Well, I, I, like I said, I appreciate you wanting me to come on and, um, you know, I I know, I, I talk a lot and probably give longer answers than you may have expected, but I, uh, I, I really appreciate it. It was a lot of fun.
1: Awesome, man. Well, thanks again, man. And we'll see you at a racetrack sometime soon.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Sounds good.
1: And everybody, thanks for listening to the Outstanding Light podcast. I'm Johnny D, the Motivational Cowboy. Don't forget to follow me on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, and now on TikTok at Motivational Cowboy. We'll see you next week right here on the Outstanding Light podcast. Hey, I'm Johnny D, the Motivational Cowboy. Are you planning a conference, convention, meeting, assembly, or any live event that needs a guest speaker? I would love to be a part of it. For more information, visit MotivationalCowboy.com. And don't forget to check out my Outstanding Life podcast every Sunday here on Dirt Road Radio, KYDT, 103.1 FM, and KBFS, 1450 AM. Have an outstanding day. Thanks for listening to the Outstanding Life Podcast.
0: Follow Johnny D on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram at Motivational Cowboy. If you or someone you know would like to be a guest on the show, advertise, or would like to make a donation, please visit motivationalcowboy.com. And remember to have an
1: outstanding day.